Easter is approaching, a time to reflect, a time to contemplate, a time to understand and embrace Jesus's life, death and resurrection. It's a bit like when you shine a light through a prism, you know, that little piece of glass. Uh, the light beam goes in, bright, brilliant white, and it's refracted by the glass. And out the other side, you see, you might remember doing this experiment in physics class in school, the kaleidoscope, the rainbow of colours. Because the cross is more than just an act. It's an act that has so many strands, so many aspects, so many wonderful conclusions and results and benefits for you and I. Last week, we thought about how Christ came and purified us, made us as white as snow, removed all of our guilt and shame. This week, we're going to take a moment to stop and to reflect on how Jesus is the one who comes so that we can be made right with God again, that we can be reconciled to our Father in heaven. If you have a Bible, then please do read along with me. We're going to be reading from Paul's letter to the Colossian church, uh, the letter that he wrote and its first chapter his first chapter in which he begins to describe the wonderfulness of Jesus and this also important aspect of what he achieved through his death. Paul writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the, the foremost, the highest over all creation. And everything that was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is therefore before all things and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself everything, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and to make peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once, writes Paul to these believers in the church in Colossae, once you were alienated, hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now, but now God has reconciled you by the physical body of Jesus through his death to present you holy, faultless and blameless before him. Most people watching along will probably know well enough about the Berlin Wall one of the most vivid pictures of division in modern times. Between the years of 1961 and 1989, the city of Berlin, the capital of Germany, was divided. Literally, it had a concrete barbed wire wall running 96 miles long through the centre of it. The city had been divided for a long time, since the end of World War II, the beginning of the Cold War. It had been a divided city. Uh, east, given over to the communists, to Russia, 
and West given over to um, states like uh, the UK and America and democracy and, uh, and freedom of movement and speech and what have you. All of Germany, in fact, was divided, but this city, with a wall literally running down the middle of it, became a focal point for defecting from that Soviet-controlled East to the democratic West. And so, in that sense, this physical division was given more than just a physical edge to it. The wall that was erected separated the city and separated lives, ways of living, Today, around the world, uh, such barriers still exist. Probably the most famous example which exists right now is the demilitarized zone that separates North Korea from South Korea. It stretches the entire width of the Korean Peninsula. And it's a physical space between what was once a united but is now a divided nation. And so we might ask the question of ourselves this morning. Here in Wales in 2023, do we suffer such divisions ourselves in our own lives? Are we, like those Berliners or as present-day Koreans, are we alienated from each other? Are we somehow made to be enemies of another, anyone in particular? And the answer, in short, is yes, we do. By nature, regardless of our geographical position, no matter what century it is that we live in, we all suffer separation. We all suffer physical, relational, spiritual division. In fact, it is the thing that is common to all human humanity and becomes a focal point of the story of our Bibles. We could read from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humanity, once enjoying God's closeness, once enjoying relationship and intimacy with God, but having suspected him, questioned him, rejected him and turned their own way, suffering the consequences of their rebellion. This is what God says at the end of Genesis chapter 3, following the fall. The Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden, out of Eden, to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It's a pretty vivid picture, isn't it, of separation, like that wall with a barbed wire in Berlin or the minefields which literally separate North and South Korea. The consequences the consequences that human beings suffer as defiled, sin-stained people, trying to draw near to a holy, perfect, righteous God. The result is separation, being cut off, being blocked off, seeing this massive, flaming, no-entry sign 
in front of us. It's such a big deal that separation from God is endemic in all humanity. For each and every one of us, if this is as far as the story goes, then it means we're missing out on something that is fundamental and foundational to who we're supposed to be. This is how Paul put it in Colossians chapter 1. Before Jesus, outside of Christ, without his sacrifice on the cross in our place, this is what we are now. Aliens, strangers, foreigners to God, hostile in our thinking, enemies in our mind, with our maker and doer of evil deeds, which compound the problem and only increase the distance and the division. But that's not how we very often see ourselves, is it? It's not how we understand our existence. And yet, Scripture says, that is where we find ourselves. Like a divided Berlin or a Korean peninsula, two things that were supposed to be together now deeply divided. And it's because of this problem that Jesus took on flesh in order to rescue us. But before we consider how Jesus has made a way, it's worth thinking about some of the ways that we try and fix this problem. Because whether it's how we view ourselves or not, as separated, as cut off, as aliens, we all sense this divide. We all, to varying degrees, acknowledge that there is something missing in our lives. Something that we should have, but we don't have. An emptiness, perhaps. An incompleteness. A yearning in our heart for, for a relationship that is, that is beyond the relationships we experience day to day with one another. It was C.S. Lewis who, when he was discussing human desires, he put it this way. That when we have desires... They are, in some way or another, able to be met. Our human desires are able to be met. If we feel hungry, then we know that there is something that we can go and we can find that will satisfy our hunger. If we feel thirsty, then we know that there is something that we can go and find and drink and it will satisfy our thirst. If we know that we're cold, then we know that there's something that can be lit so that we can gather close to it and feel warmth. And so, whether we describe it as this or not, we've got to admit it, that for each of us, there is this God-shaped hole in our lives. A God-shaped hole that not food, not drink, not clothes can fill. Regardless of how we try and fill it, it never really fits. And that desire is never really met. We try to fill it, of course. We have our own solution to the problem of separation from God, and that is to forge for ourselves little gods that we can draw near to, that we can have access to. To make believe little worlds for ourselves where we have a God who is not separated by our wrongness. And in some extreme instances, people actually will craft 
odds for themselves. But for most of us, it isn't ex as extreme as that. For most of us, our solution to the division and the separation that we have from God, the desire that we feel in ourselves to, to know him and to be known by him, to cross that divide, our solution is to take something good that God has given us in our lives and to elevate it to a God thing. Taking God's good and gracious gifts and turning them into substitutes for the giver himself. Let me give you an example of what that might look like. Perhaps it is a relationship that you have. A relationship, a closeness with someone which is supposed to be enjoyed but it becomes an ultimate thing in your life. It becomes the one place, the one person you look to, you turn to, you depend on for your identity and your joy and your peace. It's taking a good thing and when trying to fill that emptiness that we feel inside because we're cut off from God, making it into a God thing. Perhaps it could be wealth, perhaps it could be status, anything that we put in that slot and that position to try and satiate the need that we have. And yet, inevitably, it will not satisfy us. Inevitably, it will not meet that hunger, that thirst, that desire. It'll fail to do what we hope that it might do because only God and God alone can fill that hole. It just doesn't work. Like the East Berliner who desperately wants to, de um, to go over to West Berlin, trying to vault the wall, all his best efforts will only end badly. But the problem of our separation from God, which we all know and feel, and our solutions to try and fill our lives with other things instead of him, thank God they are not the final word. The good news for us as we draw close to Easter and contemplate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is that those boundaries, those divisions have been smashed. They have been obliterated. All of our guilty stains washed away, all of our guilt and shame carried away, all God's hostility to our conduct is spent, our enemies, death and Satan and sin subdued, so that nothing now can separate us from the love of God. We read in Colossians chapter 1 that description that Paul gave, aliens, strangers, separated from God. But marvellously, as Paul wrote that all these thousands of years ago to the church in Colossae, he was able to write that in the past tense. This is what Paul says, you all were before Christ came and made his glorious difference in our lives. The second half carries on. He says this, but now he has reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Christ, through his death, through his removing of our guilt and our shame and our sin, through paying the price, through defeating our enemies, makes it so that we can be reconciled to God. 
It's a total and utter difference. It's as it is full on as night and day, light and dark, life and death. There couldn't be a bigger difference that is made. Because of Christ, what he has done, we no longer need to stay on that side of the wall. We no longer need to stay as enemies and strangers and doers of evil, but we can be back with God, back in the garden, back in paradise, as Jesus promised that thief on the cross next to him, holy and blameless, without reproach, reconciled. I was reading an article this morning actually on this subject of reconciliation or adoption, that restored relationship with God above. And the author described it as grace that goes beyond, grace that goes above. Jesus, having paid our debt, we transport that into our regular systems of human justice. And what normally happens is that the accused, the guilty, is able to go free. You appear in court for speeding violation. The sentence is handed down. You get the fine. You pay the fine. What happens next normally is that you are just set free. And you and the judge probably will go your separate ways and hope never to encounter each other again. But this author of the article that I read speaking about how what Jesus has done, paying our debts, is grace beyond and above, says this. The divine judge not only acquits, but he invites the sinner home. And not just for the evening either, he adopts us as his own forever, tells us that we can call him Father pronounces us lawful heirs to all he is and all that he has. Our judge, the one that we were separated from, the one that we were guilty before because of our rejection and our re rebellion, he not only acquits, but he invites us into his family home. And not just for a moment, not just for an evening, but to live and to move and to dwell and to exist. This is how John Stott puts it, the extent of our reconciliation. To reconcile means to restore a relationship, to renew a friendship that had gone bad. So an original relationship is presupposed, which having been broken, now has been put right by Jesus. That old, damaged, broken relationship has been put right by Jesus. God has acted in human history so that we can be reconciled, that we can be brought back. As one of Jesus' closest friends put it, what, this is the sort of love that we have, that the Father has given to us, that now we can be called not aliens, not enemies, not strangers, but children of God. That's the extent of it. You know, that Berlin Wall stood strong, stood proud, stood formidable for 28 years. But it came crashing down. 
the division which had existed between the city, even the division that existed between the whole of East and West Germany, was done away with. People were now free to move, free to work, free to mingle, free to call themselves, not East or West, but simply Berliners. As we approach Easter and contemplate the cross, the death of Jesus, his rising to life again, we know that the hostility that exists, the division, the separation, as Christ bled for us, that wall has been broken down, the barbed wire removed, so that every barrier that exists can be gone. Jesus died to reunite God and man, and we are free to be known as his children because through Jesus we are reconciled. You who were once alienated, hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, now he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So what? So what's the upshot of all of this truly wonderful news? What's the application for us this morning? Well, let me say firstly, to anyone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know the forgiveness that Jesus has offered, who still carries the weight of the guilt and the shame of our own rebellion against God, don't stay over there. Don't stay far off. Don't stay in East Berlin because you think that's where you have to exist. The hope that we have, the promise that we have in Jesus is this, that we can come near. We can come in. You can have a new name in Jesus. It's yours. It's there. It's the love of God graciously, freely given. Don't wait any longer. Don't exist knowing that there's something missing. Don't try and fill that gap, that void in your life with all manner of things. Be filled up with the one who made you and knows you and knows exactly what you need. Come in Christ and call the God in heaven Father. For those of us who call God Father then, who have put our trust and our faith in Jesus and his death, what should we do in response to remembering afresh this morning that Jesus has brought us back to God? Well, we should do away with all those things in our lives that we treat as if they were God. His good gifts for sure, but do away with all of those things where we turn when we are feeling that sense, that yearning to be with God. When we feel insecure, what do we do? Well, we must remind ourselves first and foremost that our Father is our stronghold. When you're feeling insecure, when you're feeling unsafe, when you're feeling afraid, where do you go? Because of Jesus, because of 
he being able to break down that hostility, that wall, that separation, we can come in to our strong tower, who is God. Or when we feel alone, when we feel abandoned, when we feel all on our own, surely we have to remind ourselves that he is one who never leaves us or forsakes us. Where, I mean, where do you go? When isolation strikes, where is it that you go to feel known and loved and close to others? Come first and foremost to God the Father through Christ the Son by the power of his Spirit. When we feel like our identity is somewhere else, anywhere else other than the fact that we are his child, his son or his daughter, then we need to pray with renewed vigour, our Father in heaven. It's a battle, brothers and sisters, not to go back elsewhere looking to receive from other things, other relationships, other places, only what God can give us. In Jesus we have the freedom, the access, the familiarity with the God of heaven to come and to receive and to be filled up and full. But what else should we do? If you're not a believer, come to God. Know him as Father through Jesus. If you are a believer, make sure that you aren't sniffing around, searching around, scratching around elsewhere. Come first and foremost and only to him. But the third thing I want to encourage us this morning is that when we have this message of reconciliation, we should desire to share it with others. Elsewhere, Paul spoke of himself as being God's ambassador, about having this ministry of reconciliation. Now, that isn't to say that Paul thought that his job was going around and finding people who were fighting and feuding and sitting them down together. No, he, he knew that his job was to offer and to persuade others to accept the reconciliation that was only available in Christ. Therefore, he said, we are ambassadors of Christ and God is making his appeal through us so we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God for our sake he made him Jesus to be sin him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God see that anyone who has been reconciled is called to be an ambassador of God to that reconciliation. That's the job of the church. That's the job of each and every recipient of reconciliation. Imagine the man who watched the Berlin Wall being torn down on November the 9th, but he went home and he didn't think to tell his mother. He didn't think to tell his neighbor. He didn't think to tell that colleague he'd been working on the next desk to for the last 10 years. It seems impossible to imagine, doesn't it, that someone who knows the reconciliation that is now available wouldn't go and make it more broadly known. When we see, when we understand, when we enjoy the full extent of what Jesus has done for us, we will tell others. There's no two ways about it. When we see it, when we grasp it, there'll be no holding us back. Jesus has reconciled us. 
So put away those want to be gods and shout the good news of restoration of relationship with God from the rooftops. Because Jesus saves us and he saves us most completely. To all who did receive him, the scriptures say, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the, the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God and what he has done. Amen.